Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community. Inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, welcome back. Chris join you. Back at it again. I got my buddy Derek Anderson, startup growing founder, out and about. We do see him out in the wild once in a while. Um, usually when it's we've got the big guns. And uh, this is a case in point. Um, we've got Justin Kahn on the podcast today, co-founder of Atrium, um, disrupting legal tech. For those of you that are not familiar with Justin Kahn, he was uh, the crazy guy that started Justin TV, was first got to wear a camera on his head for 24 hours a day and stream it. You can blame him for the uh, all the reality television that came after that, really. Um, he was a pioneer. Um, but most famous, obviously, for Twitch that sold to Amazon for a, for a cool $970 million um, and previously Social Cam, which was acquired by um, Autodesk for 60 mil. Um, so no stranger to making money. This guy he was also a Y Combinator partner in between. Um, incredible entrepreneur, and you'll enjoy the chat. Cheers. That's exactly what Beyonce feels. <laughs> Thank you. Is it like that every morning walking into Atrium? Is it just people cheering or screaming or well, they're screaming, getting angry? They're screaming. They're getting no, angry. I'm just kidding. We have a fun time. Lauren's over there for my team. Give her a round of applause. That- she can tell you what a joy it is to work at Atrium. And uh, if you're looking for a job, we're hiring. So there's that. Well, really grateful for you being here. Uh, and you've done Start Grind a number of times. And so appreciate you continuing to come back. I, wanna, I wanna actually want to start with Atrium. And uh, I have so many questions about so many things. But you're doing yet another company. Tell us, let's go with the YC route here. What problem, what is it and what problem are you solving? Sure, yeah. Well, we're just going to get the plug right out of the way in the beginning. Um, and then we can get to the deeper stuff. Atrium is a full-service corporate law firm for startups. So it came out of my experience as a, what I call an involuntary power user of corporate legal. Uh, I'd started a bunch of companies, uh, paid legal teams and legal firms a lot. Uh, I'd done all sorts of, you know, every part of my entrepreneurial journey was, you know, always involved paying lawyers something. So like whether I was raising money or doing an M&A or whatever. And so there were some things I really liked from that experience. I really loved having experts that I could rely on who were drawing on their deep expertise. And then there were a lot of things I didn't really like. I felt like it was very opaque. Uh, they used almost no software for delivering the service in an efficient and transparent manner. Uh, pricing was like very unpredictable. And so Atrium is our attempt to fix all those kind of from the founder's perspective. Is it, I mean, I think that traditionally people might have said, I don't, I don't know, maybe you could tell us, like, why hasn't anybody disrupted this before? Is there a reason for it? Is there a reason, like, you're able to do it now that you weren't able to do it in the past? Yeah, so um, there's actually a bunch of different reasons. Uh, I don't know how technical you want to get, but basically there's regulatory capture around delivery service in legal. So if you're not a... There's very few law firm startups because 
uh, if you're not a lawyer, you can't own a law firm. And so um, you have to provide uh, all the capital has to come from like the partners of the law firm. And usually when people are rich enough to actually start a firm, they're already like kind of at the top of their firm and they have very little incentive to change things. And so uh, for us, we kind of created this two company structure where we have a startup that builds software and, and, and provides services to a law firm that kind of maintains all the legal um, re- regulations and ethical obligations that the um, lawyers have to clients. Who's just raise your hands? Who's had a good experience with a lawyer? Raise your hand. You can okay. you can be honest. I my, who's had a bad experience with a lawyer? Raise your hand. It's about okay. 50-50. It's about fifty-fifty. Um, yeah, I mean, it, are there specific problems to start with? I'm sure you're not attacking the entire spectrum of every possible thing you can do in legal, or maybe you are. But are there specific problems that you said like we're going to solve these first really well and? Yeah, so we started off for doing corporate transactional work. That's like financings and issuing equity employees, stuff like that for early stage companies, you know, like seed, series A, series B, a few series C companies, but really venture backed startups or companies that are, you know, aspiring to be venture backed startups. And so really that's the sweet spot. We focus on the work and needs that they have. And um, we figure if we make it work really well for those companies, we can eventually go on to expand to different practice areas of law. And you, you actually hire lawyers from like the big firms, right? I mean, if it was yeah, that's right. So for the Atrium uh, LLP, the law firm, we hire for lawyers from you know all, all sorts of different firms: Cooley, Wilson, Zanzini, many different different yeah. ones. And why? Like, what's as a lawyer? I'm sure there's. I don't know that there's a lot of lawyers here that are looking for jobs, but just curious, like, why would they come work at Atrium versus going to work staying at one of those firms? Like, why are those people leaving? Yeah. What is probably a very secure and comfortable long hour job. Yeah. So if you, I mean, you could just take Atrium out of the equation and ask why do lawyers, I mean, I'm, if you guys went, you know, you live here, you might know some attorneys or corporate attorneys and the attrition rate is super high, uh, even though the pay is quite good and it, there is stability and security. And I think that's because a lot of the existing incumbent culture is very, um, I would say it's a fear-based culture and there's a lot, it's a lot of, it's a very stressful place to work. There's relatively little guidance in a lot of ways. Um, it's not entrepreneurial at all. If you feel like there's a better way to do things, you know, you're not encouraged to innovate. In fact, the exact opposite. And so I think people are looking for something different or a certain type of attorneys are. And um, we're trying to make uh, an environment that's um, you know, much more based on collaboration and love where people feel like they can have ownership over how they do their work and deliver their work. There's more innovation in delivery services and, and how, you know, what software you use, but all the way to just what, what are best practices, you know, and uh, you can get better over time. And I think there's some segment of people who want that. What is success in this company? What does it look like for you personally? Like at what point or is there a point or just like you've done so many different things, but so like, like is selling it tomorrow? Is that success? Is it selling at a certain point or like, like what, or is it something about the team? Like what is it, what is it that personally is make, would you would say like Atrium has been successful? Um, yeah. So I think we talked a little bit about that. We had a really good conversation a week ago and touched on some of this. And uh, for me, I, I would say I started off with the idea that I, I just want to create another company that was bigger than Twitch. Um, and I'd finally be happy if I did that. And... Um, so when I started off, I was like two years, this is two years ago, we just hit our two year anniversary in June. 
I really wanted to start a big company, and I felt like this was a big problem. Uh, there were a lot of money spent, so I could create a big company. And interestingly enough, through the journey, I've kind of reframed or you know refocused what success is, and like or relearned, I guess. For me, I realized that um, kind of chasing these external goals and milestones was not actually changing anything in my life. And uh, it made me really reevaluate what do I want out of this company and life in general. And so for a lot of, for me, it was this journey of self-discovery where I did really realized I wanted to figure out what kind of place I want to work at and then build a company that I want to show up at to work at every day where people are, um, you know, it's a great place to work. Uh, where people are collaborative, they're empathetic, and they're motiv- you know self-motivated. And uh, that's my primary goal and metric for success now. Do you think the other companies that you started or worked in, were, did they have those sort of attributes, or is it different? I think there were some. that you know The culture, if you're not intentional about the culture that you create in your company, uh, then you, it just gets set based on your behavior and the behavior of the other early employees and executives. And so I think there were some in other companies, there were some good things, you know, I think we had, you know, maybe indexed high on responsibility and, and motivation, but there were a lot of bad things. I think they were very fear driven in in many ways. And so at Atrium, my primary motivation is to be intentional about the culture and really build a, a great place to work. And I think that the success will follow from that. That's my theory. Anyways, we're gonna, we're running the test live. What's interesting about how you say like, where you're saying, if I just build a company bigger than Twitch, then I'll be happy. I mean, for, for people, like, you mean it, like, you really did feel that way, right? I mean, you're, yeah. gen, you're, you're, you're a pretty yeah. genuine person. That's not a joke. It's not a joke, and you're being real about it. And I think it's, for somebody that's not in that situation, it is, it's sort of comical. Because it almost is unbelievable because it's like, how could you, like, that's it. Like, you did it. And like you've made that, you've made it to that point where basically anyone starting a company like would dream to get to that point in the point zero 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 one percent of founders. And so, but it's this idea that like the grass is, the grass is always greener somewhere else, right? Or like, but it's just weird to hear you say that because probably a lot of people would love to be in your situation or literally I had someone that we were standing over on the side say, I want to be you, which was sort of weird. Um, I don't know how often you get that, but literally like I want to switch places with you. But you're saying that like it doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter when you get to that point, you still, there's still something more if you don't sort of find something inside. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, everything's relative. You know, there's this... Um the human brain can create the, like a torture machine out of any scenario. And uh, you can always look at, there's someone out there, no matter who you are, who's doing better than you. Uh, they're more successful at a younger age. And they're better looking. And they're, you know, better, whatever. They have a hotter spouse or they're a better DJ or whatever. I don't know. Um, there's, they have a better shaped head. They have a better shaped head. They have a full head of hair, you know. Uh. It's not cool, dude. That's not sorry. No one knew until you said that. <laughs> um, 
you know, so and and you you know you there's always these people out there's there's always gonna be some something you can compare yourself to, or it might not even be like a real person, it might just be some like idealized thing that you know, milestone set of milestones that you have for yourself. And you know, I have countless friends who are more successful than me that are also that you know they were torturing themselves and beating themselves up because they're not Mark Zuckerberg or something like that, right? And so uh, it is really real, and it exists at every, you know, stage of success. Um, and whenever, you know, if you're on that hedonic treadmill of trying to accomplish more and more and thinking it's going to bring you happiness, what will happen is you'll, you might achieve your goals, and then you'll just find that there's this new, more daunting set of goals waiting for you uh, to torture yourself over in the next phase of your life. Yeah, it's a good it's a good insight that the human brain can't create a torture machine. Uh, I, I think are some people just naturally uh, disposed to be more happy than other people? Like it seems like some people are just generally more optimistic. Uh, or is this something? Is this like a skill that you can learn? Like what have, what have you learned about that? Yeah, so I used to think it was like uh, you know you're just you get your draw, whatever, like whatever you genetically ended up with or through your environment when you're growing up. Uh, and that's how happy you are. And what I realized was like happiness and, and mental wellness are much more like uh, working out. You know, it's something that, you know, you don't go to the gym and, um, you know, work out one day and then you think you're supposed to be fit, right? Like it's about a practice and doing things repeatedly and I think about it like a bucket. You know, I'm trying to, I have all this set of daily practices that I do. Every time I do one, I'm adding a drop to the bucket. And then after like 10,000 drops, I've got a full bucket and I'm like pretty good. But um, that metaphor really made me believe in and kind of it working on these daily practices to help me build like a, a much more happy and healthy life, I think. What, what is happiness to you? Yeah, well, so I'm, I mean, the things I do, I can talk about that. That's maybe more a little concrete. It's like I just, I started, you know, and this all came because I was super stressed out about this new startup uh, about 18 months ago. I was very, you know, it'd been six months. The first three months, of course, I was like, man, I'm so good at this. I'm crushing it. It's like easy this time. And then reality set in and it was like horrible, as cool, of course. Um, There's always more things that I felt like I wasn't doing good enough. And then I was super stressed and I was like, well, that's not sustainable. And so um, it was weird to me because, you know, like you said, it's like I could fall back on um, a lot of success I'd already had and not have to worry about it. So it wasn't really like, you know, life or death for me uh, to be successful at this company. Um, but I, so I was confused as to why I was so stressed. And I decided to start doing, well, not decided, I, I started doing these things almost skeptically at first to try to um, make myself feel better. So those were like, Things like a daily meditation practice, a gratitude journal, exercise every day, um, diet, just trying to like cultivate non-attachment, really, really holding in my heart that like if I get something that I think I want today, tomorrow, it's not going to matter. I'm not going to remember it. And uh, through doing those things regularly, I've been able to become much more consistently at peace um, throughout the day, which is good for me. Yeah, and probably your wife. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good for the people around me too. I think I'm a much better, um, much better leader because of it, and I think I'm a much better friend and partner. Yeah. So, journal of gratitude. 
writing in it five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, just things you're grateful yeah. for? Three things you're grateful for. I use this app called Five Minute Journal. They should pay me because I'm plugging this thing all over the place, but it's like, um, uh, yeah, it's called Five Minute Journal. It takes five minutes. Everybody's got five minutes. And it's just like, what are three things you're grateful for? What are three things you're going to do to make today great? And then positive affirmations. And do you then, counterbalance that with the Journal of Rage app or do you just no. do the positive? I do the positive. I also do some negative visualizations. So really trying to hold like what are the, like the worst case yeah, scenarios. Yeah, what is that? Tell people what that is. Just thinking about like what are the worst case scenarios that could happen. So like what if I, if this company failed? Like what would that be like? And trying to visualize what, would, what that would be like in my life. Um, what if, uh, you know, I got sick and, um, you know, couldn't work. Um, just trying to visualize all these different scenarios so that, you know, what, ha- what it does is when you wake up in your real life context, you're like, oh my God, it's amazing. First of all, like that these aren't happening. Um, and I think it's also like a little bit of preparedness, mental preparedness for when bad things do happen to you, which they will happen no matter who you are. You, know, you can be super rich and like bad things are still going to happen. Every human being will experience 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows in their life, right? Buddha said that and I really believe it. You're, you're going to experience them throughout your day, you know, joys and joys and sorrows. And um, you can struggle against it or you can accept it but they're going to happen nonetheless. And so just being prepared to accept it is uh, much more peaceful. One thing that I've read about that you do is that you, sh- you basically like shut down your phone yeah. in certain scenarios. Can you talk about what you do? I think you like, you have a password on the app store that you don't know about. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I yeah, I was super addicted to my phone and I, um, I spent Would anybody time. say that they're addicted to their phone in this room? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I bet like that's only a quarter of the people who are actually, actually addicted. Actually are. Um, but I was looking at my screen time. Like the phone, the phone was like a, it's a Skinner box, right? You get all these notifications and they're telling you to like do shit on Instagram or whatever. And um, it doesn't really provide, well, for me, I found it didn't provide very much actual utility. Um, and we have like the kind of fake play notifications like the Instagrams and Twitters and Twitches and then there's this like fake work notifications like oh I need to be on Slack and I'm gonna I need to get all my email in real time and I just decided to delete all the apps off my phone well first I looked at screen time and it was like five and a half hours a day so that's a lot five and a half hours a day is a 37.5 hour work week on my phone and so uh, that was like seven months ago no that was in December of last year, so nine, nine months ago. And so I just deleted all the apps, all the entertainment apps anyways, um, and all the work apps, and the browser, because I would use that as a backdoor to like go to Twitter. Um, and I locked it so I couldn't install apps, and I turned it into black and white mode, so it's like, um, I think it's less addictive when it's not in color. Uh, and, and now I don't use my phone anymore. And you know what? My life is like way better. So, yeah. Do you, so again, like from your, from where you sit today in the company that you're in and where you've gotten this, like seems really smart and I can see how you can pull it off. It's hard for me to see like the first day at YC and like to come in and, you know, just cause uh, Michael's like, Hey, okay. So the first thing we're going to talk about is how to lock your phones, shut down all the, you know, work apps, like like, is it realistic for somebody starting out a company to be able to even do that? Is it, 
Is it vital for that? Like, where does it well, fall? I, on I the think spectrum? it depends on what their job is. Like, if you are, let's say, the, um, I don't know, running, you know, the backend infrastructure for your company, you may need to be able to get like a real time notification that the, yeah, that's the, not the guy, the woman we want to delete. Yeah, that <laughs> shit's fallen down. But maybe you could set <laughs> it up on like down. you know PagerDuty or something to text you. Actually, the thing is like you don't actually need to check your email from your phone because you can actually. I'm on my email at night. You know, I check it every hour probably. I just do it from my computer, so I'm not like standing there hunched over my phone like a fucking addict. Um, <laughs> and so. It just like you're gonna be want you want to be present in your life, right? You're gonna have you know you got a family. You want to be there with your family. You can still at 8 p.m. check your email and do email for an hour or whatever. I'm still on Twitter. I just use Twitter for my computer, you know, when I intentionally want to, not like every five seconds that I'm like have a break from any pausing conversation, or you know. And I think that's really that's important. It's like it's actually not taking away from things. I, I, there's no message that I need to get that if I respond within three hours instead of within five minutes, it's going to be the end of the world. And I think that's mostly true for most people. And I actually have like, you know, if you really need to get a hold of me, just text me. Yeah. Recently, my, we brought my wife's phone to the Apple store just down the street from here and they had it for, uh, for like a day. And I asked her at the end, I was just like, how did it feel like you didn't have a phone? Like, how was it? She's like, it's great. It's totally liberating. And you've, we've been so, like, we've just been put on this drip for the last, you know, I, got, I got a Palm Trio as my first smartphone. It was like in two, 2005 or 2006. And it's like, so that's 15, almost 15 years since like people probably had it before then. That's when I started working. But like, it's just like we've been conditioned to like, always check and always check and 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 so and, and we're part of in some ways like we're part of this problem like we've created this problem and it's interesting that now the tech people are the sort of the ones that are like realizing like shoot i've got to like i've got to curb this and you're you're gonna be about to have your first child i think about it with kids all the time like freak out one i don't want my kids like when i'm supposed to be with them like i'm like on my phone it's just, like it's, it sucks it's embarrassing yeah. They don't say anything. They're too young to say anything. But like they see it, and then it's like, what's what's how what is that going to manifest into? Like, we should be talking and being human beings. So, yeah, I think it's it's a barrier to connecting more deeply with other people around you. Um, so you talk about exercise and diet, alcohol. You don't drink alcohol anymore. Oh yeah, I quit drinking alcohol. Uh, Why is that? I drink a lot. I was trying to calculate how many drinks I've had in my life. It's probably like ten thousand. So you're great at drinking. Yeah, I I, I tested all the it's different. The Malcolm pathways. Gladwell how to become yeah. great at drinking. Um, but I really realized. I mean, one of the things I've done for myself, uh, which was very valuable for me, and I think maybe for for some of you, is um, I was always like the thing that made me a, an entrepreneur, or maybe want to be an entrepreneur, is I'm like um, like an Enneagram Type Seven personality. That's like the enthusiast. Get really excited about things, and I love new experiences and new ideas, and I'm always chasing new stuff. And um, I realized that this, the flip side of that is I would always try to run away from the negative or my what you know I would classify as negative. Most people experience as negative emotions and and experiences, and so things like you know anxiety over where my startup was going or uh, frustration or sadness. 
uh, I would try to escape from those emotions. And so spent a lot of time escaping in various different ways, but alcohol was like a primary one of them. When I realized that earlier this year, I was like, I should, you know, I've kind of done that over and over again. And, and I wanted to really be more comfortable fully feeling the full range of, of feelings. And so decided to quit drinking for good. So it's been 126 days now and it's working for me. Good for you. Thank you. Do you feel like, like you're missing out? Like you can't go to Napa anymore? You can't like do the whole like look really smart when you swish a drink, like a liquid around in a glass? Do you, do you miss that at all? Actually, my, my brother did get a, uh, uh, like a micro crush program, like our own wine bottle shortly after. So, um, you know, I, I did miss out on that. But actually, ultimately, I haven't felt very much like I'm missing much. You know, I did, I, I feel like I drank my share, to be honest. Uh, therapy. Yeah. That's another one. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stigma around therapy or there used to be, I think it's kind of coming off a little bit, but, um, uh, I think that generally people have thought, always thought about therapy as something that you should do if you are, uh, broken in some way or have some, you know, problem. People think about, I mean, I think a lot of the mental health system you know, people think about it like similar to medical conditions where it's like a binary. You either have it or, or don't. And I think therapy is something that's like pretty good for, you know, well, first of all, people are like a gradient of like, you know, mental wellness. And I think it's something that's really good for you even if you think you're like, you're good, you know, because I mean, effectively you're having someone else that you can talk to about whatever your problems are. It's, and that process is very cathartic. You know, I've learned a lot for myself just about being in touch with my emotions and being able to sit with them uh, from, from therapy. And really, it took me being super stressed out. Uh, this was like actually not this startup, but the last you know, iteration, so like six years ago, uh, to actually invest in it for myself because I was a, at a breaking point. You, I've heard you talk about you, that you're committed to feeling all of your emotions. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah, so um, human beings have a bunch of emotions, right? There's like five big ones, joy, sadness, fear, anger, and excitement. And it's like inside out. You guys ever see that movie? So, yeah. And they're like, you don't control if you have them. They exist. Um, They're caused by parts of your brain, like your amygdala and the hormones in your body and you're going to experience these feelings whether you like it or not or whether you're, uh, you understand it or not. Um, in most professional environments and workplaces, uh, you will be encouraged or socialized to suppress the ones that you don't think are pro- that people say are not appropriate for the workplace, right? So that might be fear. If you have anxiety over something, it might be anger. Um, oftentimes, if you know, you're, you'll be socialized a certain way depending on your gender, right? Uh, so if you're a woman um, showing sadness in the workplace or, or anger, or, well, showing anger in the workplace is like not acceptable oftentimes. If you're a man, like showing sadness might be, um, you know, you might be, you build a mental model that you'll be punished if you, if you do that. Um, but regardless, you have all these, people have all these emotions. And so um, part of what I want to do with Atrium and, and what I really believe is a healthy company culture is building an environment that's safe for people to bring their whole selves to work, including all their emotions. Because your emotions are actually a signal. They're like a data point. Um, for example, if you feel frustration about, uh, let's say, you know, Derek, you work with me and you're presenting a plan and I'm like frust- feeling frustrated, in the normal work environment, 
in today's modern society, I might say, oh, that's about me, that frustration. I should just shut that down because it's not professional and I don't want to, I want to hide it. And then it will fester. I'll be pissed. I might think you're incompetent, but secretly in my head and then do nothing about it. In the, like, I'm in touch with my emotions world, I can say, hey, uh, I just want to call out right now. I'm, I feel I think you might be incompetent. No. <laughs> Yeah, I think you could, you want to talk about your emotions in a nonviolent way, right? So I want to say, hey, I'm frustrated right now. Yeah. And I don't know why, but it might be because um, just talking out loud, like, actually, I think we haven't aligned on the goals for this project. And, you know, you're going down path A. And I actually think that um, maybe I'm, I, I really want to go down path B. And I'm worried that if we execute this plan, uh, my needs are not going to be met. And so, and I just want to talk about that and see how that lands with you, right? So that, that's, that's a way... My, my anxiety or my frustration in that moment is actually a signal that something's wrong with that plan or from my perspective, right? And if I don't talk about it, if I suppress that signal, then I'm actually like throwing out valuable data. And so the, the key for me is like, how can I build a culture and a, and a workspace where people feel safe expressing that? Because it's easy to do if you're the CEO. It's not so easy to do if you're, you know, just on someone on the atrium team, right? So uh, it's up to the up to me and, and the leadership of the company, I think, to really build that environment. And do you feel like like doing in in expressing that it then sort of relieves it, and you're able to um, you're able to move forward? Like, does that has that changed? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, think about you know how you've expressed and experienced your emotions in your life. There's probably some time when you were very sad and you cried about it, and then afterwards you felt better. And, or you were super pissed and you went outside and you screamed about it or you like punched a wall or something like that. And then you felt better afterwards. I mean, the, the human beings are meant to like clear emotions and express them and then be okay and go back to, you know, move towards solution and problem solving or, or releasing that, those, those, those feelings. Um, but instead, you know, we create these systems where we don't ever release them and then we just, they become a mood and then eventually you're just the angry guy at the office. Um, you talked about this a little bit in the beginning and you've, you've tweeted a lot about it and I, I think you have a pretty unique position on it, but it's, it's basically this idea of like not having stress or anxiety or sadness over what you can't control. And as I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, having thought about what you've been saying and trying to understand the lines between where does your control start and where does it stop? So like, you know, is it like, do you count family and coworkers, friends in there? Do you like, you know, I may have chosen to go to X school that led down this path. Like some of it's like, are my choices that then lead to things that are out of my control? You know, I mean, so like I'm trying, like how, where do you see those lines of like choice and, and not, yeah, so you you don't actually have control over anything that happens. Um, and actually, you don't even have control over the emotions that you have experiencing them. So, you know, you are going to feel anxiety or sadness or, or anger over events that happen. Um, you don't really have control over those events. And so I think the uh, important learning for me has been to uh, release my expectations of control, my the illusion that I have of control, and be just accepting of the things that happen. I can have preferences for how I want to change those things or how I want to act in response to those things. And I do have those preferences, right? Like, so when 
I don't know, bad things happen at Atrium, I want to correct them and try to my best to to improve. Um, but I don't have control over you know whether they happen in the beginning or not. Uh, and so you know, releasing my um, need for control um, around those those circumstances has has really helped me. I just don't. I'm like trying. To, I'm like struggling to figure out like how to do that. How to like physically do it. Yeah. You know, like my ten year old is a really great kid, but like he does something really dumb. Yeah. Like it's hard for me not. And like I'm sure people with teenagers are like, oh, dude, you have no clue what's coming at you in about five or six years. And I don't. And I try not to think about it because uh, it makes me feel sad, which I'm trying to be happy. Uh, and so, but like. How, just like physically, like so one of these things happen or someone you love does something really terrible, maybe to you, maybe to someone else or to themselves. And it's like, how do I like you? And I have no control over it, but I still have these feelings that then will affect me for the rest of the week or the month or the year. And it's like, how do I? Yeah, that's so what what has helped me is uh, just a reframe, a simple reframing. This is one that really helped me, um, which is just like how, approaching everything, every circumstance that, that the universe delivers to me as and asking the question, what is what can I learn from this? Like, what is the universe teaching me at this moment? Um, and so, you know, one example for um, that you could say I have control over, but maybe uh, maybe I didn't after I started the company is atrium is a, you know, we're a business where we have a bunch of legal team members. It's a very high headcount business. Um, more than like a normal enterprise software, SaaS software company or something like that. And so, uh, in the beginning we grew our team from like zero to 80 people in the first year. And it was very stressful. It was very stressful because you have a bunch of people who have never worked together before, um, from different cultures, legal engineering, product sales, and uh, we didn't have very good internal management at the time. And so uh, I was stressed out and I was like kicking, my, I was, like, kicking myself and, and saying like, why did I choose to start a company with such high headcount when I could have just made a nice like SaaS software company <laughs> and it would have been all easy. Um, and what I did eventually was I reframed that question. I was like, what is the universe delivering to me by having this high headcount company, right? And what can I learn from this? And what I learned was I realized like, hey, this is an opportunity to create a culture that touches more people. Um, this is an opportunity to uh, practice my leadership skills at a, um, in, a, in a, an order of magnitude that's like much higher than I would have at that like SaaS software company. And when I started approaching everything in my life with like, what, am, what can I be, you know, what can the universe teach me from this? And what's the like, what am I learning from it? Everything got way better, even though they were the same things. And this, I mean, there's like many worse things actually that has happened to me in the last year um, that I've been able to reframe in a very positive way. Is the, is the universe always teaching or is the universe sometimes like just need a good laugh? I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I can't speak for the universe, but I think I can, all I can say is like, uh, I can, is how I can, you know, if you frame your own approach and assume it is a, uh, it's a teacher and not just a random torturer, uh, then you're going to feel a lot better about it. I think one thing that, I, that I've learned from you is that so this idea that most of the things that, uh, that cause these problems in our lives 
are not actually are maybe it's just my life, but like they're they're things you put on yourself, and it's or expectations that the world puts on you or something. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you you know you you I shared something with you that was bothering me, and you said, well, it it directly involves someone I care about, and you said, well, have you talked to that person about it? And I said. They, you're like, do they think that? Do they feel that way? I said, well, no, probably not. And you're like, well, have you, ta- have you asked them? So I said, no, I had. So I did. And, you know, I, I saw you in Vancouver on Thursday. And so on Friday when I got home, I talked to my wife. I said, hey, like, this is something that's bothering me. And I was like, does it bother you? She's like, no, I could care less. And here is this whole time, you know, you put these expectations on yourself of like, I'm supposed to be doing this thing because some other external thing, but actually it's me doing it to myself. I'm not successful enough. I'm not good enough person. I'm not, you know, this or this or this, whatever these things, but actually you should just embrace those things. That's, that's sort of what I'm hearing from you. Like don't look at the negative, look at actually what can be learned from it and sort of embrace it instead of like, you know, creating conflict around it. That's amazing. That, that made my day actually, Derek. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I mean, I think becoming the source of my own approval and accepting myself was the most powerful thing I ever did for myself. Yeah, don't torture yourself over the things you don't control. It's a great, it's a great thought. Um, I would love. W- people are like, I thought we were going to hear about startups. <laughs> you know, you got a philosophy degree in college. And I wonder if this was the plan all along that like, does this stuff you've been doing, you did on Snapchat, but it was, it was, it's, it's gone to a new level when you switched over. And I wonder like, was this the plan? I'm going to just build companies so I get a little bit of an audience and then I'm going to start the, the philosopher in me is going to come out because it's coming out pretty strong. Yeah, that was the plan all along. I was like, hey, I was just going <laughs> to create this whole wave of people watching other people play video Justin games. Justin Kiko thing. It's yeah. Justin TV thing. Yeah. And then it'll turn into... Um, you, so you start out as a founder, 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 founder. There's a few more founders in there. And then you go to become an investor. You become a partner at YC, which a large subset of people in Silicon Valley and technology would probably say is, is the greatest job of all time, who probably don't know anything about it. Um, and then you leave YC and you become a founder again. And so this doesn't seem like the easiest path. I wonder, like, what was your thought process doing that, having hustled and sweat and, you know, done the founder thing, kind of what seemed like a much better situation, easier situation, and then diving right back in? Why would you do that? Yeah, when I was investing, you know, at first when I got... You know, so when I stopped starting the startups, I was so burned out and I had so much brain damage. I was like, I'll never do that again. Um, and then I joined YC and I was, you know, it's just something to do. And at first I didn't know if I had any skills at all, um, which I know sounds, sounds weird. But like when you're starting a startup, you know, you often feel like you're, you usually feel like you're failing. That's like the default feeling because you're either... Uh, six, well, you're either actually failing and then you feel like you're failing and it's justified. Uh, or you are succeeding, but you're thrust in these greater and greater circumstances of things that, you know, to the jobs that you haven't done before and you haven't prepared for and you feel like you're failing at them. And so, um, 
I did, when I joined YC, I didn't think I had any skills. And then I learned, oh, actually, I do have some things to teach people about early stage startups. And so that was good for about a year. I, I kind of learned, oh, I, I am valuable here. I can help people. But then I, it was kind of like just turning a crank over and over again, like being a college professor. It's like, you know, get the batch in. They do three months and then goodbye. And then, you know, help them raise money or whatever. They're off their races. And then the next batch comes in. Same thing, right? So uh, I just felt like I wasn't learning anything anymore, actually. And um, I wanted to, I, I decided to start another company because I felt that it would be the way to maximize my own personal learnings and self-growth, which turns out it was, uh, even though it was, um, you know, very tough. And so you've talked about in the past, why you should or shouldn't join a startup. And the three things you've talked about is that you should join a startup if you want access to a job you're unqualified for, if you want a good, potentially a good gateway to start a company if you're not the founder, and then this idea of maximizing your speed of learning. And uh, like, how, how, if I'm sitting here or if I'm listening to this on YouTube or something, uh, like, how do I find that thing to maximize my speed of learning? Like, what? How do I? It seems it it seems very clear. Like, it makes sense w what you're saying. But like, if I'm just some random person trying to find my career path, like, how do I even do that? Like, where do I start looking for that? You mean like what kind of startups to join? Yeah, or? or just yeah, like if even if it's not start like just a job. Like, I want to join something. I, I like I'm a growth minded person. So like how do I find the place where I can grow the most? Yeah, well, I, I, I do think startups are a great vehicle for, for that because, um, well, uh, oftentimes the only people, you know, they're, they're putting, they're, the people who are willing to join an early stage startup are, uh, you know, vastly underqualified for the positions that they're hiring for. And uh, you're going to be thrust in that position where you have to, like, you have responsibility, you have to figure it out. Um, for better or for worse, and you're probably going to fail a lot, and it's going to be very painful. Um, but you will have that opportunity to learn, and I think that's the real reason to join a, a startup. Um, you know, if you're joining to maximize your economics or something like that, I think really I would just go work at one of the fan companies. You know, what, which companies? Like, you know, go work at Facebook or Google. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So reasons not to join a startup: money, if you want a career path. Or if you're looking for a good manager. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're looking for a good manager, definitely don't join a startup. Justin Kahn, CEO, co-founder of Atrium, Twitch, many, many other things. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling. Keep hustling.